This episode is brought to you by the Arvada Center because they're kicking off their summer concert series in June. Relax under the stars at the Arvada Center's outdoor amphitheater and take in acts like Melissa Etheridge, Big Richard, Tower of Power, Preservation Hall Jazz Band, The Spin Doctors, and so much more. Concerts are scheduled for June through September. You can find a whole schedule of events and get your tickets today at arvadacenter.org. That's arvadacenter.org. Today on CityCast Denver, who is the mysterious Colorado lawyer who got himself caught up in former President Trump's indictments? Because that very same conservative mastermind is now leading a lawsuit that could change our state's politics forever. Westward editor Patty Calhoun joins me and producer Paul Caroli to break it down. And then we'll hear from Westward reporter Benito Kelty on why he wanted to climb a 14er so badly he broke the law. Today is Wednesday, August 9th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Hey, Paul. Hey, Bree. And Patty Calhoun, welcome back to CityCast Denver. Thanks so much. Patty, who is John Eastman? So John Eastman is a lawyer that most of us in Colorado were blissfully unaware of (laughs) until he was appointed to the Benson Center at the University of Colorado. And the whole concept there was they would bring in visiting professors to represent conservative thought because so many professors at CU in Boulder are not conservative. So he was first there in late 2019, 2020. But he had enough time to go to Washington, D.C. in 2020 after the election and help advise Donald Trump on how he could prove he'd really won the election. Oh, man, they really went that far right in bringing that that conservative viewpoint. It would be hard to go any further right. (laughs) So, okay, the reason I ask is because John Eastman is in the news locally again. Uh, what What is he in the news for this time? Well, he was in the news a lot last week because he is one of the six unindicted co-conspirators in the Donald Trump indictment. And he's admitted he is unindicted co-conspirator number two. Specifically, what he had done is recommend, well, he did a lot, but he did recommend to Vice President Pence that he not certify the election and instead block it. And, you know, that's basically a ceremonial thing. And Vice President Pence said, I can't do that. And last week, Vice President Pence was calling him a crackpot for even having brought it up and winding up in this indictment. But the day before John Eastman wound up in the indictment, he had sued the Secretary of State of Colorado for Proposition 108, which allows unaffiliated voters to vote in a primary. Not both primaries, only one primary every election year. So why does a big Trump guy want unaffiliated voters in Colorado not to vote in GOP primaries? Well, partly because the Colorado Republican Party hired him to take on this case. (laughs) And, you know, the Colorado Republican Party is very And I should say the small sliver of Republicans who are in charge of the Colorado Republican Party, like Dave Williams, want to stop unaffiliated voters from influencing who might become the candidate emerging from the primary. In general, the people who run the party in this state are far more conservative. I mean, Dave Williams, for example, also thinks Trump won the 2020 election. And so they don't want their they don't want unaffiliated voters at their party. 
there was a quote in, I think it was a Colorado Sun piece uh, from Dave Williams. It was from an email that he sent. And it said, the current unconstitutional open primary scheme allows for Democrats and other left wing groups to interfere in our primary nomination outcomes so they can weaken our general election prospects. So this is his argument. And this is Eastman's what Eastman's involved with in terms of pushing or attempting to make it so Almost half of Colorado voters can't vote in the primaries. Right, exactly. And because so many Coloradans were going unaffiliated, that was the big push behind 108 to allow voters to have a say in the primary because the primary candidates, let's face it, are the ones who are going to be on the November ballot. That's just what's going to happen until we have a really strong third party candidate. Let's also remember that the unaffiliated voters are also paying for these elections. We are paying for the primary elections. Like as taxpayers. As taxpayers, because that's the whole process. So the Republicans, in their argument, Eastman's argument, said it's a free speech issue. The unaffiliated voters are stymieing the free speech of the Colorado Republicans who don't want them in Hmm. their primary. But for unaffiliated voters, don't you want to have some choice in who is ultimately going to be on the ballot? And I think... You can hardly blame unaffiliated voters for not wanting to sign up as Republican <laughs> members right now. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, the the fact that they're calling it a free speech issue in court is very interesting because to me, reading that quote from Dave Williams, it's so clearly a political power play. Like when he says, weakening our general election prospects, how would not letting unaffiliated voters in weaken your candidates? I don't know if it would weaken it, but you'd have maybe weaker candidates in his eyes as a far right thinker. Right, exactly. Now, there have always been these theories that Democrats will band together and all of a sudden someone will go vote in someone else's primary. Right, right. the strategic voting. Right, yeah, right. Maybe you just push to make sure the, the worst candidate gets on in a certain yeah. party. We've never seen any evidence that people who are, are going to vote in someone else's primary in order to do that. There's never been any proof of that. I think unaffiliated voters actually are looking to see which candidates they like best, seeing where they could have an influence, and going to the primary of the one that has a candidate they like. I mean, we can be more cynical and think it's just trickery, but I don't think so. I think people want to say in who they get to vote for. And for unaffiliated voters, this is the only way they can have an influence before November. I, I just i am I'm perplexed by how this sort of faction of the GOP thinks that excluding almost half of the voters would benefit them. It's just they're just saying we don't want you to taint our options. Our voter pool. Well, there's the theory that, you know, maybe they'll come and maneuver it. Right. But right, then right. there's also but simply the theory that their people won't win. Yeah, yeah that they're more moderate. It feels like voter, suppre- moderate it feels like voter suppression vote, to me. Their people won't win. We'll be watching John Eastman's lawsuit to keep unaffiliated voters out of the GOP primaries as that story develops. But right now, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Westwood reporter Benito Kelty on another legal mess that could keep unaffiliated voters, so along with everyone else, away from some of our most beautiful mountain peaks, the Decalibron Loop outside Leadville. This episode is brought to you by Pine Melon, the farmer's market delivered. Pine Melon is a next-generation grocery delivery app that partners with over 200 farmers, ranchers, and producers in Colorado to help make fresh, locally sourced foods available to the Denver community at fair prices. 
Get high quality meats, eggs, and dairy from small local farms, fresh baked breads from local bakeries, and more, as well as all of your favorite pantry staples. Best part is, Pine Melon offers same-day delivery to Denver and soon Boulder within a two-hour window, no subscription necessary. Save time in your busy schedule and get fresh and healthy groceries delivered right to your door. Join the movement and support local today. Use promo code CityCastDenver for $75 off your first delivery at PineMelon.com. That's PineMelon.com. All right, and we're back, and we have someone new joining us for this segment, Benito Kelty, Westwood Reporter. Welcome to CityCast Denver. Hi, thank you for having me. So I understand from Patty that uh, you got into some hot water about a mountain you climbed recently? Yes, I did. I went to hike the Decalbron Loop just the day after it had opened. I wasn't intending to hike the um, still forbidden Mount Bross, but um, once I had climbed about 2,000 feet or so, um, I figured, well, we're almost right there and we saw other people coming up. So I wasn't the only one to climb it, but I was the only one to come home and write about it. So once that article published, uh, and a lot of uh, hikers were, were pretty upset. Yeah, people had some strong choice. opinions for you. Definitely. But why, why in the first place was this place so like fraught in the first place like you said it was just open what's the whole situation right so since march the owner of the peaks that uh make up the decalbron loop so democrat cameron and lincoln and bross he had closed access to those trails out of concern that some of the mines that are out there because it used to be a site for mining gold and silver would leave him liable to a lawsuit uh, that he couldn't afford. Um, he had seen what went on with a case with the Colorado Springs uh, Air Force Academy. A cyclist had hit a, a sinkhole, um, injured themselves, and, and sued. He was hoping the state legislator may step in with a, um, you know, some kind of law to protect him from that kind of liability. But when that failed in March, he, he immediately decided to close it down. Bross itself is a little bit more of uh, a quagmire because he's not the sole owner of mining claims on, on Mount Bross. And this is what I learned from talking to the head of the Colorado 14er Initiative. And, and that one's a bit more complex. So it remained closed after John Ryber, the owner of the other three peaks, um, opened the rest of the, the trail. Patty, this issue with the mineral rights and the liability for hikers, is that something that's been going on for a long time? This is the first time I had heard about it. In the hiking world, it has been a hot topic for decades. Huh. We found some stories that were written 20 years ago, various times when the peaks were closed off. And a lot of people don't understand why mineral rights alone can be a reason you can't get access. Why A lot of people don't understand that the mountains are not owned by the state of Colorado or the feds in many cases. In some cases, they are. So there was some negotiating behind the scenes to get these peaks open. It was the Colorado 14er Initiative Polis's office, I believe, got involved. They worked to open these other two peaks, but people are still climbing a lot of peaks without permission. And once we heard Benito had, we said, might as well fess up and write about that too. <laughs> well, then I guess that brings us back to this hot water that y'all got into. You got some complaints from folks. I mean, one in particular that you all ended up publishing was from the head of the Colorado 14ers Initiative. And a, and a woman who is and chair Emily of a group Steele. working to mm -hmm. change the law in the Colorado legislature so that people would have access to these peaks. So, so it was pushback from people that want folks to be able to hike. But, but in the, in are the, worried the in moment, the meantime, irresponsible reporters will make sure that no one can go. Well, they their argument, just to 
give them their space. They say respecting the closure by not trespassing is essential to keeping this loop open. Uh, this reporter's choice, I guess that's you, Benito, to not only trespass on the Bras Summit, but to publicly brag about it and laud other renegades who violated the closure risks access to the Decalibron loop for all hikers. I so, would argue if you read the story, he's not bragging, he's not lauding, but he's admitting what he did, and which we suggested. We knew it would cause conversation, but we weren't going to say he hadn't done it. Well, what do you think about their argument, though, for taking this down and for, for not risking the, the loop for everyone else? Well, I'm certainly opposed to taking it down. I think it's important to have that conversation up about whether or not uh, we should be able to access it and also why it's not accessible. Um, you know, just as a principle of, you know, having that discussion and keeping, you know, Westward a forum, I think it's important to keep that article up. Um, but I understand, you know, why they're upset if there's, if there's a lot of work that went into opening the trail. And I agree that, you know, people should be aware of, of what's going on up there before they hike up there, or even if they make the decision to go on to Bras, I think they should at least be informed. So what happens if someone reads your article and goes up there and gets hurt? Well, there's signs up there. I mean, we are not him? the only we are not the only people who have ever done this or talked about it too. So, yes, it would be on them. Benita, what do you think about the idea of someone owning a mountain? It's um, a shocking, surprising concept that that someone owns that peak. Um, it's not totally unbelievable, but yeah, it is. It is strange to to think about um, someone owning. A, a summit just because it's you know you go up there you feel so free you feel so so far you know from from everything else in life it's so strange to think well somebody owns this and this private property but when i was going up i remember one of the hikers that i passed whom i quoted in the story she said you know these parks should be accessible or or you know these peaks should be open to everyone something along those lines and it, it sounded like that was the, the key idea, I think, that a lot of uh, hikers have, or, or it sums up just the idea that, that a lot of hikers like myself, my friend had, which is that, you know, these are peaks, you know, if we can walk there, we feel like it's part of nature, you know, we want to be able to go up there and it take be in open. That, that view. Yeah, and that's yeah. a good argument for all these people to start pushing legislators and get involved with the group which was involved in that rebuttal to push legislators to make sure there is liability so that people who have mineral rights or other property claims up there will still allow hikers. What changes are they pushing for specifically? Like what I didn't understand what that how the biggest they... issue is just liability. So part part of it is you're supposed to post, you know, no trespassing or danger or at your own risk. Well the signs come down. So the the problem is if the signs come down, because I think they said a sign came down in two weeks, if the sign comes down, is the property owner or the rights owner liable again? So you could come up with loopholes through the legislature that would protect the people with those rights from being sued by climbers. Hmm, some kind of loophole. The other thing that was interesting to me is the assumptions that are made on all sides in every story about Benito, go back to Texas about his lineage, you know, and Benito, he can speak for himself, but he's been climbing mountains here for a long time. He's from here. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm from Aurora, Colorado. Were people accusing you of just being a, a transplant stomping yeah, on the mountain? <laughs> coming to Colorado with no respect for, uh, for this land. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I remember 
um, I grew up on in Aurora near Parker Peoria area, and I, I think anyone in Aurora knows that like if you drive down like Yale or I live, you can see like Grays and Tories in the distance on a clear day. So you know, yeah, I, I mean, I have a great amount of respect for for these 14ers and for these peaks, um, and I think you know, so do all the hikers that that went up there, and all the hikers who said stuff like you know, find me. Um, but you know, I think they they still do care a lot about the 14ers. I don't think I think one thing we would all have in common is that you know if we saw someone littering up there i think we would all you know be be angry both the people who who are are you know for keeping it off limits and people who think it shouldn't be off limits and there was one part i remember trying to touch on slightly in my article which was that uh my friend caden and i the the other person my friend with whom i i went up that your peak. accomplice <laughs> yeah my accomplice <laughs> and my partner in crime um we had been complaining like the previous week about how you have to reserve a parking spot for quandary peak and i remember we we talked for like you know the whole way back from fair play to aurora just how ludicrous it is that to access these spots where we remember going and and where we used to drive out to you know two hours from from aurora denver up 70 or down 285 and and i felt like the whole place was just kind of open and it's just not that way anymore and i remember us just uh feeling that it's so crazy how off limits things are and, and maybe that played in a bit to you know go go up to that peak but we definitely feel like you know we wish we could just walk around and explore our home state you know patty how about you um what do you think you know big picture this whole affair says about our relationship with our mountains that we really need to talk about it. I mean, mm -hmm. just on all sides, on what we want from Colorado, how we become stewards of the land. And I think the issue here is, should someone with mineral rights be able to restrict access? Are there ways we can get around that? But it gets into how much people love the outdoors and how much access there should be. And it extends beyond those who can drive cars to Quandary Peak, even if they couldn't get parking places to those in the inner city. And how do you get there? And I will also say, I am sure this will not be the last time a Westward reporter has broken a law. <laughs> it's happened <laughs> before. Or you've been and called to happen. take something down and said, absolutely not. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, Patty Calhoun, Benito Kelty, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. Palisade Peaches. Hey, I'm Andrew in Inglewood down by Bellevue Park. Just heard your Palisade Peach question on the podcast. Uh, I want to shout out to Forte Farms. They actually have a brick and mortar shop on Federal and Oxford, so southwest Denver. But a great way to get your fresh produce from all over the state. Always have a great selection there. That's my vote. Hey, guys. This is Debbie from Pueblo, and I used to live in the Meadowood area in Aurora. And um, one of the things I miss most is my neighborhood farmer's market. You guys were talking about the Palisade peaches, and they get a lot of their produce from the Western Slope. And I am really missing not being able to swing by and get stuff. They are in a shop. Um, on unit number one on the corner of uh, Laredo and Dartmouth. And they have amazing produce and the world's best peach salsa as well. So go there if you want peaches any day of the week. They are open. 
Have a great one. Bye. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell John Eastman about us? Rate the show five stars wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See ya. Am I saying that right? The Decalibron?